Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, really great to be with you uh, here at, uh, at Lindisfarne Anglican. And uh, what a joy uh, to see uh, what God is doing here. And uh, it was wonderful to see all those kids down the front and woohooing that they're off to Sunday school. Fantastic. Really great. Uh, great to see that. Uh, why don't we pray and ask God to speak to us this morning? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a speaking God. Uh, you spoke words and the world came into being. You spoke in the past through the prophets. In these last days, you've spoken to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus. And you continue to speak through your Word and by your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Father, that uh, as we uh, sit here this morning, we might hear your voice in the Scriptures. And uh, we might uh, respond to you as uh, we hear what you have to say to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love a good travel story. Helen will tell you... uh, British Train Journeys is one of my favourite TV shows as uh, we, uh, you know, set off and explore some new part of the world. And I love uh, travel stories because you often get uh, stories about what's gone well with travel and sometimes things that have gone badly with travel. Uh, I'm reading a travel book at the moment. It's called Walking to Jerusalem. And uh, the subtitle is Endurance and Hope on a Pilgrimage from London to the Holy Land. And it tells the story of a group of people going unremarkably from London uh, to Jerusalem. And uh, they are going in solidarity with the Palestinian people. It's all written on the centenary of the Balfour Declaration, uh, on the 50th anniversary of the Six-Day War, on the 10th anniversary of the blockade against Gaza. And there they set off to stand with Palestinian people in Jerusalem. And it's a wonderful story because it weaves together a bit of a travel log as they cross Europe Uh, a bit of uh, politics, some theology and some travel experiences all rolled into one. So it's a really great read for someone like me. Well, the the part of uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians that we uh, have read this morning is a little bit like uh, Paul's travel log. Well, it's certainly about Paul's travel plans or his frustrated travel plans. I don't know if you picked that up uh, as Kate read it to us about how he had a desire to go and visit them and he wasn't able to and then he sent Timothy and, 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 and so on. And uh, in some ways it all seems very incidental. Not just Paul recounting uh, what he wanted to do in his travel and how he was frustrated in it. But I want us uh, this morning to recognise that this is scripture. This is God's word. And actually, he has something to say to us in these incidental things about what Paul was doing in his travel plans with the Thessalonians. But just so you get the shape of uh, the passage, I thought we'd start there and think about what uh, we've just heard. And if you've got uh, the text of uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, 2.17 through to the end of chapter 3 in front of you, that would be uh, just great. Now, you've heard over the last couple of weeks that Paul was writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a city in the northern part of Greece and he is writing that letter from Athens, as we heard in the reading today. The church in Thessalonica had been planted by him. He'd been there for three weeks 
in his, one of his missionary journeys uh, recorded for us in Acts chapter 17. And uh, he tells us uh, in this letter that he wants to go and visit them again. But on several occasions, he'd been prevented from going. He said Satan got in his way and stopped him from getting to uh, Thessalonica. So out of frustration, Paul sends Timothy to visit the church there to encourage them because he knew about the persecution they were undergoing. Back in Acts chapter 17, Paul is chased out of the city of Thessalonica by people who uh, wanted to do him ill. They start persecuting the Christian believers in Jason's house in, uh, in Thessalonica. And Paul wants to find out how the Christians have fared. Have, have they survived the persecution that they were under uh, in that city? So at the time of writing, he's sent Timothy. Timothy's come back and given him a report and told him that actually the Thessalonians, rather than falling away, were actually abounding in their faith. They were continuing to grow in their faith. They'd hung in there in the face of persecution and they were standing firm in the Lord. And it ends with Paul saying, now I've got this report, now I really want to come and visit you. And he ends with a prayer that God would open up the door so that he could come back and visit the Thessalonian Christians. And he's praying for them to grow in love and to be strengthened to serve God. So that's the basic architecture of the passage. But what I want us to do today is uh, learn four things uh, from this passage. First of all, we learn a little bit about Paul. Secondly, we learn a little bit about the Thessalonians. Third, we learn something about ourselves. And lastly, we learn something about prayer and how to pray. So let's think of those four things. What do we learn of the Apostle Paul. When I mention the name of the Apostle Paul, I wonder what pops into your head. I wonder what you think about the Apostle Paul. You see, there is a popular view that views the Apostle Paul quite negatively. People love to sort of run down Paul, the Apostle of Jesus. So there was an article in the Huffington Post uh, a little while back who described him as the crazy uncle who make, you make excuses for or avoid entirely because he's a little bit excessive. Some accuse him of being a misogynist, hating women. Some accuse him of being homophobic, some anti-Semitic. The Independent uh, newspaper ran an article on him a year or two ago and they said this, with his excessive passion and irascible moral certainty, St Paul stirred up trouble wherever he went in life. I can't tell you how many times I've been in Bible studies and we've read from one of Paul's letters and somebody says, that's only Paul, as if we can ignore him because he's somehow this sort of angry, opinionated person. But what we learn from 1 Thessalonians is something entirely different about the Apostle Paul and we get a window into who he was and what kind of a person he was in his relationship to the Thessalonian church. Because as we read here, we read of his strong attachment and his deep affection for the church in Thessalonica, for the Thessalonian Christians. One writer, uh, I think, correctly identifies that it's almost to the point of awkwardness. As I've been preparing this sermon, I've been sort of struck by uh, the awkwardness of Paul's language. He is so affectionate to the Thessalonian Christians. I want, you to, I want to just uh, point out a few of those things uh, for you this morning. The first comes in the very first verse, in verse 17, where he describes his separation from them as being orphaned from them. 
Now, remember, this is Paul who spent three weeks in Thessalonica starting the church, and now he's down in Athens, and he says, uh, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you. So he uses this term of uh, being, being kind of lost in the world from his family uh, as, uh, as a description of what it means for him to be separated from the Thessalonian Christians. In the same verse, he talks about his intense longing to be with them. He describes them in verses 19 and 20 as his glory, his joy, his crown. That's sort of over-the-top language, isn't it, to describe a church. He says when he could stand it no longer, being separated from them, he sends Timothy off uh, to meet with them. When he gets news of their standing firm in the faith, he uses a word to describe it. It's translated in our Bibles as the good news. It is the word gospel. The gospel I received when I heard that you were standing firm in the faith. It's the only time in the New Testament where that word is used for something other than the good news about Jesus in the world. He says, uh, when he finds out that they are standing firm, he says, now I can really live knowing that you are standing firm for the gospel. That's in chapter 3, verse 8. In in verse 9, he talks about his joy. He says he's praying for them day and night. In verse 10, quite beyond all measure, he says, I'm praying for you. And he speaks of his love for them in chapter 12. The whole thing reeks of this pastoral affection that Paul has for the church in Thessalonica. And to cap it all off, he pours out his heart in prayer for them and praying particularly that God, the Father himself, and the Lord Jesus will clear the way for him to come and spend time with the church in Thessalonica. It is amazing. It is, as that writer said, almost awkward the way Paul pours out his heart for the Thessalonian Christians. What do we learn about Paul? Well, far from the remote, judgmental, hard-nosed caricature that you read in the Huffington Post and in the Independent, you find this picture of this, the Apostle Paul of tender heart, affectionate, passionate about ministry, passionate about people and longing for their best. He comes to the Thessalonian Christians with this pastoral mindset and that's how we read his advice and commitment to them, this very young church in the faith. He's going to say hard and challenging words to them, but he does it out of his deep affection for them. Perhaps his particular affection for the Thessalonian Christians was because he knew the hardship they had been under. He'd been there in Thessalonica when an angry mob rounded up a crowd and, and stormed into one of the houses, the houses, house of J- Jason, looking for Paul and Silas so that they could chase them out of town. And, Paul and, uh, and Jason has to pay his bond to get out of uh, house arrest from uh, these marauding uh, persecutors of the church. And perhaps Paul knew how much they endured and, he, and they've got this special place of affection in his heart. Uh, the danger of this uh, next story is that you think I'm trying to set myself up as the Apostle Paul. I'm not trying to do that, but I'll, I'll tell you the story anyway. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Helen and I had uh, the great uh, privilege of, of visiting India and visiting churches in the north of India. Uh, we went with an organisation that has a vision, get this, to plant 100,000 new churches in the north of India and in Bangladesh and Nepal. 
It's uh, quite extraordinary and they are on target. They've been going for uh, 10 or 20 years now and they're on target to reach, by the year 2030, 100,000 new churches in the north of India. But if you know anything about the north of India, you'll know how hard ground it is. It is an area of militant Hinduism. And to plant a church there, to meet as Christians there, means almost certain persecution. We had a privilege of speaking to a pastor's conference and every person we met was facing persecution on a daily basis. Uh, Being put in prison, some of them beaten, some of them uh, violence against them, some of them locked up uh, for, for naming the name of Jesus. And I can tell you, having met them, I've come back with this great affection in my heart uh, for those church leaders. I have a lot of affection for Chris as a pastor of a church, but it's, it was wonderful to meet these people just for the very first time, just for a very short period, and to see the deep affection. I wonder if that's what's going on for the Apostle Paul as he thinks of that very new church that he planted in the city of Thessalonica. But what do we, that's what we learn about Paul, his affection for them. But what do we learn about the Thessalonian Christians uh, from this passage? Well, the first thing we learned uh, is what I've been alluding to, is that they were persecuted. Uh, one of the uh, reasons that he had sent Timothy to them was to strengthen their faith in the face of persecution. Uh, so we read that uh, in chapter 3, if you have a look, uh, in verse 2. We sent Timothy who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, he said. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted and it turned out that way, as you well know. Paul wanted to know uh, how the Christians in Thessalonica had fared in the face of persecution that he witnessed the beginning of. He knows that persecution is the normal state for Christian believers. He says, for this you were destined. This was your destiny to be persecuted by the faith. Following the one true God, naming the name of Jesus above every other name, especially in a religiously pluralist world, puts you at odds with that world. The normal state for Christians is opposition. We learn that from Jesus, don't we? Our founder and master, who in three short years ends up being crucified on a Roman cross as the suffering servant. Paul describes it as their destiny, their immovable state, the condition of what it was to be a Christian. And he warned them when he was with them, verse 4. He said, persecution's coming your way, and now you know that it's going, it, it happened. It actually happened. Now, we know that persecution can have two effects on people. If uh, we left our church here this morning and there were people outside with guns pointing them at our heads, saying, I'm going to kill you unless you recant the name of Jesus, some of us will fall away. Some of us will say, that's a trial, that's too hard. You can imagine, can't you? If you were living in North India and you were threatened with violence, that some people might say, actually, I'm not that keen on Jesus. I'm not keen to be beaten up for him or thrown in prison for him. Uh, The historian, uh, ancient historian Eusebius, tells of uh, an early church leader. His name was Quintus. And uh, persecution was coming against the church and Quintus uh, was a, bit, a man of a great bravado and he, uh, he decided to step out and he put himself 
before the tribunal. And uh, he went, went there to, uh, to, to defend the Christian faith in front of a Roman tribunal. But when they sentenced him and took him outside and he saw the lions licking their lips uh, to eat him, he quickly recanted his faith and said, oh, no, actually, I'm not that serious about Jesus after all. And uh, Quintus has gone down in history as uh, one that uh, should make you uh, careful about uh, rashly running ahead with self-confidence. But the other outcome of persecution is it strengthens people's faith. It strengthens their resolve to follow the Lord Jesus. Uh, the Roman persecution was particularly severe in the city of Smyrna in uh, what is today uh, modern Turkey, uh, a city there. And there's a very famous bishop of uh, Smyrna. His name was Polycarp in the second century. And uh, he stood before a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion, who was about to kill him. And the Roman centurion gave him the opportunity to recant his faith. Do you really believe in Jesus? This is your opportunity to go free, the Roman centurion said. And, and he said these very famous words. He says, for four score years and six, he has been faithful to me. Can I be unfaithful to him now? I believe in Jesus. And the Roman soldier ran the, the, the knife through and he met his death as a martyr. For the faith. What we find from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians is that what, this is what actually happened to the Thessalonian Christians. They had stood firm in the face of severe persecution. There was good news from Timothy about their faith and their love, we read. They were standing firm, uh, verse 8. And uh, Paul was overjoyed about this, describing it in these very bold terms. He describes this news as gospel in verse 6, as life in verse 8, as joy in verse 9. This story of persecution has been true of Christianity from the very early days. The more persecution, the greater the growth. Uh, people have come against the church and think if they persecute and kill a few Christians, it'll stamp out the Christian faith. It's been exactly the opposite. One writer puts it this way. When the apostolic period finished, he writes, persecution became almost the normal state in which the church was found. And he says, persecution, instead of abolishing the name of Christ, as the persecutors vainly imagined they should, should succeed in doing, became the means of growth of the Christian church and of its purity. Tertullian, uh, one of the early church leaders, was the one who said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we have seen that over and over again. When Christians were tossed out of China in the Cultural Revolution, the church grew like topsy. Uh, everywhere, churches popping up and growing in strength. The church in North India is growing at an incredible rate, uh, an exponential rate in the face of persecution, economic persecution, physical persecution, violence. And it's interesting to note, isn't it, that in the comfortable West, not least of which in Australia, the church is in decline. Where we're not persecuted. Because there's nothing really to stand for, is there, if your life is not on the line? Well, because of all this, uh, the Thessalonians were in the heart of Paul's affection. Uh, he says to them, you've stood firm. You are continuing to grow in Christ even in the face of this terrible persecution, uh, you are not just a ragtag collection of unremarkable human beings. You are loved by the Apostle Paul. 
He describes them as his hope, the source of his confidence, as his joy, the, the, the love he has for them, his crown. He uses the word for the, the laurel wreath of uh, their victory. He says, you are my glory. Paul boasted about them, uh, about their reputation, giving them a dignity and a worth beyond all measure. So this is what we know about the Apostle Paul, his deep pastoral affection for the Thessalonian church. What we know about the Thessalonians is their faithfulness in the face of persecution. So what does the passage teach us about us, the church in the 21st century here in Hobart? Well, the first thing we learn about ourselves is that we should expect persecution in our own lives. Persecution is the normal state for Christian believers. In verse 3 of chapter 3, he says we were destined for this. It's an integral part of the Christian life. Uh, uh, John uh, chapter 16, we have the words of Jesus. He says, in this world you will have trouble. That's what it means to follow him. He added, but I have overcome the world so that we didn't fear. It is unusual for us to live in a part of the world at a time of history where there is no persecution. But the effect it's had on us is to make us lazy and compromised. Other church is weak in, in Australia because we don't actually have to stand up for anything and the, and the Christian faith gets compromised with the world's values. And that's mostly true in the West. Precious little uh, uh, persecution, save the slight embarrassment of having to confess where you were on a Sunday morning, I was in church, or awkwardness about your faith and what you're going to do on Christmas morning. That's it. That's the extent of it. But I sense the tide is turning. We're already seeing it in Britain, where now there is a law firm called Christian Concern who spend their whole time defending Christians from religiously motivated discrimination. Story of a woman who was a nurse in a hospital who wore a little cross around her neck and had offended someone in the hospital and she lost her job. Question concern went to her aid to help her get her job back. Someone lost their job for praying in the workplace. Another person lost their job for talking about their Christian view of marriage. Someone preaching the gospel in the open air on a street corner in London was taken off to jail. And we see anti-discrimination laws here in Australia doing the same thing, don't we? Trying to silence the Christian voice in the public square. Not so long ago, right here in Hobart, the Catholic Archbishop of Hobart was up on charges for simply teaching the Catholic view of marriage in his parishes. Brothers and sisters, we ought to be prepared for this. And might I say, I think we should be praying for this. I think we should be praying for more persecution for our churches, that we'd actually have to stand up for Jesus uh, in our world. And like the Thessalonians... Uh, we could have two outcomes of this. We could fall away, which the Thessalonians didn't, or find ourselves, like them, standing firm in the faith. You see, like the Thessalonians, we need to be strengthened and encouraged in our faith 
so that when the persecution comes, when we have to stand up for the name of Jesus, we're going to have the ability to do so. We don't have the Apostle Paul coming to visit. We don't have Timothy coming to visit us and build us up. But we do have their words and their ministries uh, recorded for us in this book, don't we? We have their words for us. and Two letters written by Paul to Timothy, this Timothy we're talking about, to, to tell him how he was to do his ministry. And 13 letters from the Apostle Paul, that wonderful, warm-hearted pastor, the Apostle Paul, setting out the encouragement and the strengthening of our faith. Even this wonderful letter of uh, 1, Th- uh, 1 Thessalonians that you're studying now in the lead up to Christmas is the, the teaching and encouragement we need to stand firm uh, for the Lord Jesus. Next week, you, uh, Chris is going to teach you about how to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. That's the next chapter of this letter. And we look forward to it, don't we? Because we know we need to be prepared to stand for Christ in the world. And then he's going to lead you on uh, next week or the week after to think about how to prepare for the second coming of Christ. You see, our aim in this church and in every church in Tasmania is to encourage and strengthen one another to stand firm in the faith. We have a vision for the Diocese of Tasmania. It's to be a church for Tasmania making disciples of Jesus. That is, we want to be for this state of Tasmania and to do for it what the rest of the world can't do, that is, make disciples of the Lord Jesus. And I'm so heartened at the vision of this church, which is behind me on those screens at the front, is to be a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus, because that's what he's called us to do. And part of our discipleship is to be built up and strengthened in our faith so that we can withstand persecution if it comes our way. And all the while, we know that like the Thessalonians, we are deeply valued and loved. I think it is not too far a stretch of the imagination to describe Lindisfarne Anglican as a hope, a joy, a crown and glory. Two weeks ago, Chris told you about the reputation of this church in the Diocese of Tasmania. I listened to his sermons online in the car. It scares clergy. And I, I tell them that, but I do. I listened to his sermon uh, two weeks ago, and uh, it was, uh, and, and it was so in- encouraging for me to hear him encouraging you about what we say about you uh, when you're not around. We've been telling the story everywhere about what God is doing, the new things He's doing in this church. You are our hope, filling us with confident hope uh, in the power of the gospel to revitalize a church. You are a source of joy to us as we give thanks to God for what he's doing here. You are a crown of triumph when the world says you should be dying and fading away and you're irrelevant and the church is growing. It's wonderful. You are a sign of God's glory as he works through you. What we learn about Paul is his pastoral affection. What we learn about the uh, Thessalonians is their steadfastness in the face of persecution. What we know about us is our need to continue to be uh, strengthened and encouraged in the faith so that we can stand firm for Jesus in the world. And if that's the case, let's learn the final lesson of our passage, and that is about praying for ourselves. This is how Paul ends uh, the passage we're reading today. He says, Now... A prayer. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. 
May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He prays for the Thessalonian Christians' love to abound, that their love for each other in the life of the church, in the congregation, would be deep relationships of care and concern and support within, but also love outside, he says, for everyone else, that the church would stand as a beacon of love. Wouldn't that be a great thing to pray for Lindisfarne Anglican, that we would be a beacon of love in this community, And when people drove up the road here, what's called Lincoln Street, drove up Lincoln Street and they saw this big pile of bricks on the corner, they wouldn't think that's a big pile of bricks. I wonder what I hear they have good services in there. They would walk up the drive up the street and go, hey, those are the people who love. That's the community who loves Lindisfarne. Uh, That their love would abound so much within that it would flow out uh, into the world and around us. And that families and older folk and the people in your street and neighbourhood, the relationships we had through the playgroup would know the love of this church. And we ought to be praying that for each other. Praying that this would increase and overflow. Did you notice that in verse 12? That their love would increase and overflow. Uh, when I read those, I had a picture of my son who, uh, from time to time, if his sister would ask him to fill up her glass of water, would uh, pour the water into the glass and uh, keep pouring and keep pouring till it got to the top of the glass and then overflowed all over the table. A great abundance. He thought it was very funny. No one else did. But I thought of that. The love that happens here would just sort of fill up and then spill out an overflow uh, into the community uh, all around us. And the second petition is also there, that they would be blameless and holy in the presence of God when Jesus comes again. This is not a prayer to be perfect, a prayer to be holy. Uh, It's a prayer to be set apart for God, to say we're for Jesus, we're set apart for him and for his purpose. The holy ones are saints. This is one of my favourite words to describe the, the Christian Uh, Not because we are outstandingly good, but that being set apart for him is the ordinary state of the believer. And uh, Chris is going to expand more of that next week from chapter 4 as uh, he talks about this holy life. And all of this, did you notice, verse 13, is in the light of the coming again of the Lord Jesus. Chris was right at the beginning when he said, Advent is not about preparing for Christmas. Yes, if you've got an advent calendar, today's the day to open the first door and get out whatever is in there as you work up the 25 days to Christmas Day. But actually, this season is a season of preparation for the coming again of Jesus. We we sang a hymn uh, to start the first service here this morning. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. It's a pretty heavy-going hymn. But actually it says Jesus is coming again and he's going to hold the world to account. And that's what we are preparing for. A colleague of mine wrote this week, Despite popular opinion, Advent is not a countdown to Christmas, but a time to focus on the big picture where all things are heading and the full manifestation of the reign of Christ. And he quoted from Romans 13, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. And there's an urgency, isn't there, for the Thessalonian Christians and for us as we wait for the coming of Christ that we might live holy, set apart to the Lord, lives blameless and love 
that fills up and overflows to the world around us. Would you join me as we pray that uh, for Lindisfarne Church? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you uh, for this little travelogue of the Apostle Paul and his plans that are frustrated, uh, that we can learn uh, about his heart, we can learn about the faithfulness of the Thessalonian Christians and the call uh, in our lives uh, to keep uh, walking uh, for you. And we pray, Father, that your love would overflow from this church into the world around us so that Jesus might be known. In his name we pray. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church. www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless you.